A man can be an artist. And anything, food, whatever. It depends on how good he is at it. Creasy's art is dead. He's about to paint his masterpiece. everybody, welcome back to the show. This is Real Ripe and Real Rotten. It's a podcast where we look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood artists. Each month we're going to be using Rotten Tomatoes to determine the best and worst film in one individual filmography. Listen along as we try to figure out what went right and what went wrong. My name is Wes Teasdale. I'm joined with uh, Clay McCormick, as always. Excuse me as I drop my phone. Clay, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this movie. I think this, um, if you're if you're not being uh, facetious... Well, this I guess we'll get into this. This is the the B roll for Denzel Washington. Um, every time we pick somebody that we cover, we do the high and the low, and the K, and then the B roll is the third movie, which is sort of the uh, movie that is neither the high nor the low, but we decide that we want to talk about. And this is Man on Fire for Denzel Washington, which is a mm-hmm. 2004 film directed by Tony Scott from a screenplay by Brian Helgeland based on the 1980 novel of the same name by A.J. Quinnell. In this one, Denzel Washington plays John Creasy, a despondent alcoholic former Special Activities Division operative U.S. Marine Corps Force Reconnaissance Officer turned bodyguard who goes on a revenge rampage after his charge. Nine-year-old Lupita is abducted in Mexico City. Um, so let's see. So you chose, I would say that you had a bigger impact on picking Man on Fire. I was going to go with Virtuosity if we had to watch a mm-hmm. Denzel Washington movie. Um but you chose Man on Fire. I had not seen Man on Fire in a long time, and you seem to really enjoy Man on Fire. So I think this film might be our biggest uh, disagreement so far. Oh boy, strap in, folks. Um, well, <laughs> I guess uh, how strongly do you like this movie? I guess would be my qu- my lead off question to you. I love Man on Fire. I think it's a great movie. Okay. I think it's uh, I think it's one of the most satisfying revenge movies I've ever seen. And it's because they spend the time to uh, build the relationship between uh, Denzel Washington and Dakota Fanning, who are both amazing actors and are perfectly cast in these roles. Uh, It's completely believable. So at the point when she gets kidnapped, you know that he's going to fuck those guys up and you are going to enjoy doing it. Even I watched it with my girlfriend who doesn't like, you know, tortury type scenes, but even she was like, no, he's... He's doing this because it's what he has to do, and I don't mind that he's doing it because I want him to get those guys. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think I haven't watched it in a while. Um, and at the time, I remembered really – I remembered liking uh, the filmmaking style of it, and I don't hate it now, but it does feel pretty dated. Uh, it does feel like that uh, a very mid-2000s-y kind of, kind of movie. Yeah. And uh, – um, but at the same time, I, I do like that it's it's not just a straightforward, straightforwardly shot movie. You know, it, it, the way that it's shot, the choppiness of it, the uh, the high contrast stuff is, I think, goes a long way to to kind of evoke the mindset of Denzel Washington's character, which is very clearly all over the place and and distraught and uh, emotionally fragile. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just think it's I just think it's a really satisfying revenge movie, and uh, uh, there, there's you know there's a couple uh, ticks in, in there that are you know 
I, I don't think I would have I would have included that little weird addendum at the end that makes it seem like John Creasy was a real person who died. Um, <laughs> and uh, the inclusion of the line uh, "Revenge is a dish best served cold" is a little weird. Yeah. Um, but hey, they are it, that is a good tie-in to the uh, our other podcast because it is a uh, traditional Klingon Klingon proverb, I believe. Yes, it is. I I was actually confused. I sort of embarrassed myself when it came up. I was like. Because uh, I, I watched this with my wife, Amy, and she did not like it whatsoever. Um, really? But, but when that line came up, I was like, oh, that's a Klingon proverb. It's like, that's kind of tying into how, like, she, she was taking the movie, and this, this is a criticism of mine. I'm not saying that she's wrong, but she was watching the movie saying, this is ridiculous. Like, this is just uh, completely <laughs> absurd. And the line when he says that Klingon proverb, I'm, I'm kind of like, this is the the movie winking at you to let you know that this is kind of just like a, a cartoon of a movie. And I was like, it's an old Klingon proverb. And she's like, didn't Shakespeare write that? <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm just like, I, I guess so. I guess maybe it doesn't all come back to Star Trek. I don't know if Shakespeare actually wrote it, but it's an old saying. Um, yeah. I was actually repurposed. thinking about that too. I was thinking about that. I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I mean, I'm sure it's an easy Google, but uh, I've never looked up to see actually who wrote it. You know, and I, I, yeah, it's it's ridiculous, but I mean, I think this is a better movie than Taken, and Taken is the pretty much the same story, uh, except I think it's a better made movie and it's more satisfying. But it's yeah, it's I mean, it's an action revenge movie. They're all ridiculous. Well, I, I mean, I think it's the so. Well, I, I guess yeah, I guess I'll just start with the, the criticism of the movie. So I, I think that my problem is is that the I think the tone is kind of wrong here. And I, and I think it just goes to show how important tone is for movies like this. And I see this as, like, you've compared this to, you've said this is the best Punisher movie. And Yeah, for this for a while, I, I, I considered this the closest thing to a, a Punisher movie that I actually really enjoyed. Yeah, and I, I think that, I, I think that the subject matter is I'd, and I'd be interested to see if the book is any different. Like I, I feel that this is a a weird. I'm trying to sum up how I feel about this. I, I feel that the the movie doesn't really go in a tone that is makes me feel like the filmmakers are aware of what they're doing. And I like the movie's two different distinct halves. And I think that the first half is okay, and the second half is just kind of madness on some level. Mm-hmm. And I think that the I would hope I don't know the Punisher comic books, but my hope would be that at least in the Punisher comic books, they maybe do some kind of like reckoning about what this guy is doing at this point. Like, no, the, the Punisher hardly ever does the Punisher ever answer for anything. he's done. Right. And, but I, and I think that the I, I, I think that Creasy actually might have more of a justification. But I, I think that this is really just like. My problem with this is that it's the second half is basically torture porn. And I don't know if I'm just getting older and I'm sort of like getting a little bit put off by this, but when it doesn't have a point to it and it's just scenes of him going around and torturing people and it's not in the context of a like hostile movie where I'm like, okay, this is so ridiculous that the whole point is supposed to be the squeamishness. Like the reality of this situation is too real for me. Mm-hmm. And it you end up in this place where you're in the audience watching this movie and you're just sort of getting off as Denzel Washington is cutting people's fingers off. And it's like, there's mm-hmm. no, 
there's no thought about it. Like everyone in the film is is like egging him on, being like, "Come on, goddamn it, we got to sick Denzel Washington on these bastards." And there's this weird, like immoral catharsis you have to watching this happen. And then when it's over, you're like, "Why? Why did that? Why did that feel good?" I, and I and I don't think that the film really questions anything about it. The question is really. The the film is just all into the this is badass, I think. And so let's continue to watch some badass stuff. Well, I don't know if I would totally say that because the 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 supporting characters aren't specifically you know hoping that he goes after they're not they're not specifically calling him in to do stuff. That he's clearly going to do it. But they're supporting they're, him. Yeah, they're supporting him, but they're but they're not, you know, actively, you know, sicking him on people. I mean, the, the closest person to do that is probably the wife, who is, you know, is the one who's like, "I hope you kill everybody." Blah 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 blah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Walken, Christopher Walken's character is is his buddy who's gonna help him do stuff. It it it's kind of like he ends up becoming the character who is is going to. Uh, crack the crack the egg in this whole situation and pe- the people around him are are not actively telling him to do it but they're not stopping him from doing it either well, yeah, and um, I, i'd argue they're too scared like his his buddy the walk-in character just says i don't kill people anymore so you kill everybody like it's a it's a weird um the everyone except for denzel washington is sort of aghast at what's going on, but they still want, like, they, the supporting cast of this uh, movie is kind of the audience in some way. They're watching mm-hmm. this going like, yeah, fucking cut that guy's fingers off, burn him with a cigarette lighter, like, and they're too, are they, they're too cowardly to do it? Like, w- what's the movie saying? That this guy, this is the only way to sort of fix that, and I, 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 I don't want to come across as some old man who's just like, everyone should be nice to each other, but it's like, I don't see what the point of the the violence gets the girl back, but the violence is not. The violence isn't a conflict that Creasy even really goes through. There's no, there's nothing, there's nothing stopping him or nothing. No character is trying to convince him not to do this, and that's kind of against the point. But if you want to do a movie that is all about that, I think the hyper realistic tone here, which isn't hyper realistic, but the 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 sort of groundedness of the film otherwise is a disservice to people who just want to watch that kind of torture porn stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think with, with his character, it's sort of, uh, he ends up being, um, it, it's sort of the, uh, he, he more or less gets, gets released on these, these guys by, by the fact that they, they stole the girl, you know, yep. he's, uh, more or less bottled up and more and by his own drinking problems and all this kind of stuff. And, and, sh- and the, the girl has, um, given him a reason to, uh, to live. Um, and then he, he basically dies when she's, when she's taken away. Yep. And so that takes away any sort of, uh, restraint on him that he might th- think that he has which allows him to just go scorched earth on these guys and um you know i i wouldn't say that that it's it uh the violence towards these guys is unmotivated i would think it's extremely motivated he's he's going specifically after the people who took away the one thing that brought him back to life more or less yeah um and you know one thing my girlfriend said 
about the torture stuff is that at no point does he feel like he's taking pleasure in doing this. It's not like he's doing it for, uh, you know, cutting guys' fingers off and then like laughing as they squirm. This is just this is just part. This is what he's doing. It's it's this is how he active. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. This is how he he acts. This is what he does, and he's very cold about it. And it's I think it's less torture porn and more oh my god look at what these guys have released um and i think it's it's interesting when you talk about getting to the end and feeling closure uh, or feeling you know happy or whatever because that that kind of th- that thing i alluded to at the beginning the the little coda about him uh where it like puts he, his yeah, name and his yeah, date yeah, of yeah, death yeah. and then it has like the black and white thing of uh, of the the cop shooting the voice guy and saying that this guy was killed three days later. That has to be a like studio mandated ad because like, or like they must've done a test or something and said like ending it, just ending it with Creasy dying in the car was just too much of a downer. Yeah. Uh, so they need to add a thing and letting the voice get away. I think it would have, I think it would have been a very satisfying ending to just have him drive off and die in the car like he does without that little tail thing, but I can totally see why they did it. Um, in the book, the guy lives, actually. Creasy lives. Yeah, the girl actually dies in the book. I saw that, yeah. Yep. Which is, which is again, it's something, I remember the first time I watched it, I totally bought that she had died. I mean, I, I don't know why I questioned, I didn't question it, but I was just, you know, I was just into it and I was like, oh shit, she's dead, he's going to fucking murder everybody i actually don't um, i actually think it's um i think it's actually unrealistic that they kept her alive on some level like it, it, yeah it probably is yeah I, I i don't the guy says something about the lines of like girls are too valuable you can't just kill them i i don't feel a kidnapping gang would want to keep people around who could potentially sink them like i don't think that that's something that they would be uh it's not a good idea to keep around your victims who could just be found i think I, yeah it makes more sense if she were to be killed and it's just for the story he needs to get her back that she's kept yeah alive. i mean that would have that would have been that would have been too fucking dark yeah yeah <laughs> i mean if if he you talk about violence that doesn't have a purpose to it i mean if she's dead and he does all this stuff like what's the gain like i that's one of my big problems with revenge movies is that when you get to the end there is a certain lack of catharsis because, okay, so you work your way back to the top and then you shoot the guy or whatever, or you, you know, and, and usually the, they have to make the, the bad, the main bad guy's death scene overly dramatic to compensate for the fact that what you've just watched this guy do ultimately doesn't serve any purpose, you know? Um, like, uh, I mean, you know, Kill Bill's fairly satisfying, but like, uh, um, even there, they have to sit down and have this like long talk about stuff and really air out their grievances. And there's, you know, she gets her daughter back in that movie, so that you know, there's a, a bit of catharsis there. But in most revenge movies, like most Punisher movies, you get to the bad guy and then he just shoots and kills the bad guy, and then that's just it. And the people that he's avenging are still dead, and there's not really a point to anything that you just watch, other than cool. I just watched him get revenge on this on these guys. Yeah. Whereas in this one. They lead you down that path, and they start off with him being hyper-violent with seemingly no purpose, but then when it turns out she's still alive, that makes the catharsis at the end and his eventual death that much more, I feel, satisfying, because it, it's... It, I, I just think it works really well. Yeah, yeah. 
I I guess that the I guess my counter would be that I I find that there's some sort of I don't know if it's it's not really too related to that point, but it's kind of the the fact that the movie sits in this weird moral structure where I think that the like society at large would say the torture is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that people watching this movie would agree that what Denzel Washington does is correct. So it, it's it's odd to me. It's like this. It's a sort of blind spot because I'm not like I don't I don't personally think like when people just sort of rail against like it's a very Twitter thing. It's just like torture is wrong. Like you can't torture. I can think of situations where torture is acceptable. Like mm-hmm. I, I can come up with a you know the conservatives like to push the ticking time bomb thing. Like if you know a guy who's planted a bomb and you have an hour to get where the bomb is and he knows and you know he knows it's okay like you have to use torture in that uh, sense to get the information from him yeah i mean they made seven seasons of 24 which was like much more torture than this movie (laughs) right and i i think that you know people sort of will say that that's not a good point to make but i think or that the right sort of repeats that as their only example but just just because they do that doesn't mean that it's a wrong argument like i do believe that torture is okay in those kind of uh, situations but here, I think there's something, there's just something weird to me about people watching the movie and getting excited by what Creasy's doing. Even if I don't think that what Creasy's doing is wrong, I think that the movie, like you brought up Kill Bill, Kill Bill is a revenge thing. There's no real torture in it, but it's, right. you could say Kill Bill is almost maybe more violent. Like how many acts of violence happen in Kill Bill versus this movie? Maybe oh, Kill yeah. Bill is I more. I mean, just in that, just in that one fight scene in the first one alone, he, she kills like 88 people. Yeah, so. the, the 88 thing. So, I mean, it's like. <laughs> But but the tone of Kill Bill, Tarantino has a better sense of the tone that he's trying to mimic that old Asian revenge style movie. Uh, the, right. And this movie doesn't have that tone to it. So when I watch it, it feels to me like Tony Scott is just getting off on the violence as opposed to making an artistic statement. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know if I would totally agree with that, though. I'm Because I don't think that showing... Like if if you were to do the same stuff, but just present it with like a more of a tongue in cheek tone, like Kill Bill does, I don't think that makes it better. I th- I don't think not the movie. I just I don't I don't think that makes the depiction of what he's doing like more okay. Um, oh I, yeah, okay, go ahead. I, I would rather if he's gonna do this stuff, I would rather they play it straight the way that they do. I mean, there's I I guess. I could see there being a, a conflict in tone uh, in some areas because they do end up doing that kind of thing where some of the ways he ends up killing people is kind of like uh, action hero-y. Um, I should, not action hero-y, but like... Overly creative, sort of. Yeah, I get yeah. overly creative. Like, you know, not only does he shoot that guy in the head after cutting his fingers off, but he then drives the car off of a cliff and like drops it onto a soccer field yeah. <laughs> a very odd which, cut, yeah yeah which like in another movie if you tweak the tone plays more comical i don't think the stuff that he does in this movie plays particularly comical uh, except maybe pushing that bomb up the guy's butt that's kind of funny um <laughs> but even there that's not really torture that's just a creative way of killing somebody it was um, it was very it was very um thoughtful of him to put his underwear back on after he had done that to that guy too. I yeah. was thinking that, yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I I I don't I think that the 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 tone actually works fairly well uh because 
I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I would want this type of this story to be told in a less serious kind of way. Um, I think his coldness in his actions uh, is perfectly reasonable, um, and I don't necessarily think that the filmmakers are getting off on him torturing people uh, as much as you know he's got to go down a certain route to get the information that he wants. And he doesn't really torture that. He only tortures that one guy, doesn't he? He doesn't really torture anybody else. Well, I mean, I, I guess taunt, taunting a guy by saying you got a bomb up your ass is kind of, I would consider that torture. Like there's a, you're inflicting trauma onto somebody before, for uh, some reason, I guess I would Well, I mean, is that really any different than if he had just put, held a gun to his head and said, if you don't tell me what I want to know, I'm going to shoot you. And then like, or like you know, did a Russian roulette thing or something like no, that. I would also consider that torture sort of like, yeah, yeah I, I'm being consistent. What I would consider to be torture would be that. So like sort of taunting That's someone fair. with okay. pain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think I, I find the tone of the movie fairly consistent. Um, and I, I yes, and I, yeah. and I don't think that it, I don't really think it, it presents what he's doing in a, Overly, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think I would say I, I think they pr- present what he's doing in an overly um, uh, fetishistic or, or uh, uh, idealized sort of way. He, what the stuff he's doing is real ugly, and it's it's meant to be really ugly. And again, I, you know, time frame too. Maybe, maybe this is a a a, a, a um, result of when the movie was made. Because, like I said about twenty four. You know, after after nine eleven, not that I want to, you know, pull the nine eleven card, but uh, <laughs> things changed. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that style of movie ex- or story exploded. Twenty four is seven seasons of Jack Bauer torturing people. Yeah. Um, the hostile movies you brought up that doesn't happen until after nine eleven. Like this, that no longer happens either. I don't think, right? We're, no, we're, it doesn't. Yeah. It, it that kind of that style of movie doesn't really exist. Saw, Saw didn't happen until after nine eleven, and that's basically torture. Yeah. Uh, you know that the whole torture porn thing didn't happen until after that, and has since died down. Um, so I yeah, I don't know how this movie would play to most people now. But uh, I, I, you know, I never really read it as a torture porn type movie because I hate that stuff too. I really don't like that stuff. I think in a movie like Hostel, uh, I, I could not, I could not stand that movie for exactly the reasons that you're talking about. I don't like watching people get tortured for the sake of people getting tortured. Like, there's no yeah. purpose of anything that happens in Hostel, you know, other than the fact that the story is they end up in a place where people get tortured to get off on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas in he as here, he's trying to solve a problem, and the problem that he's trying to solve is ultimately one that you know he has unfortunately has a particular set of skills, much like in Taken, <laughs> yeah. um, to break through this shell of of something of a very violent uh, organization uh, that has been kidnapping people and doing X and Y, and he's not and he's not doing it. For the greater good, he is straight up doing it for revenge. Like, there is no, like, I'm going to take these guys down so this doesn't happen to any other girl ever. Like, the scene where he ends up finding the... He, he never plans on finding another girl who's been kidnapped. Right, he just happens and, into it. Yeah. yeah. So he's, like, his goal is definitely not, uh, I'm going to take these guys down 
because they need to be taken down. It's completely revenge. The people around him see him as a uh, as a tool to take these guys down. But for him, it's just flat out, I need to figure out who these guys are, and I need to kill them. Yep. And even there, even there at the end, you could argue that his approach changes. Once he finds out that she's alive, he stops killing people. Because then it becomes a, uh, you know, like, he he very easily could have, uh, in my head, I couldn't remember exactly what happened towards the end. And I remembered that he definitely trades his own life for, for PETA. But I couldn't remember if he killed the brother. Uh, and clearly he doesn't. And he could have. You know, he yep. could have killed the brother. There's no reason why he couldn't. But once he finds out he's she's alive and there are now stakes, he has to reevaluate the way that he handles things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I guess I'll clarify something that you said for myself, which is that mm-hmm. I think I think the movie of the tone is uh, the tone of the movie is consistent. I think mm-hmm. it's just slightly it's just not the right one for me, at least on mm-hmm. any case, like the entire way through. Yeah. And I think that the. What's weird, like the another sort of problem I have with it is that once he switches into the second half of the movie and it becomes a uh, sort of like action fest as opposed to the setup of the movie, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they start adding subtitles to everything. And I think it starts off as subtitles for Spanish and eventually, eventually it just turns into the words that people say get shown on the screen as well, (laughs) which is, which to me is a very... Like they're taking it in a comic book route at that point. Like they're 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 making it, they're they're removing it out of that realism type thing, and they do a lot of slow motion walking away from explosions in the second half. Like it, mm-hmm. it just gets into this weird. They're reveling in the sort of actiony aspect of it, and I think that the the difference I have from like I would say that I enjoy the first Saw movie at least. It's the only one that I can say off the top of my head that I liked. Yeah, but. The thing about the Saw movies and the movies that do this kind of violence that I can get behind, or at least I don't feel that this, or at least I feel that they accomplish something that this movie doesn't, is that when you stylize the violence, it makes me feel that the person doing it is aware of what they're doing. Like if you, Mm -hmm. if you just took man on, if you made a movie, right, that was a person goes around into a neighborhood, breaks into houses and sort of tortures and kills people. Mm-hmm. It, it it's the same as what's going on in man on fire except there's no purpose to it but it's like it's the same it's just this relentless sort of drive towards stuff and there's no over-the-top horror aspect to where it's like a you know a chainsaw comes in for no reason and the person's screaming and blood is spraying like there's kind of like a a cartoonishness to that kind of violence i feel it's mm-hmm. all it, it doesn't do that here and it's it's if you wanted to do that hyper realistic thing i'm a little bit disappointed that the second half is not more plot driven because he really just sort of bounces between he he goes to one person they say you got to talk to this guy and he kills that person then he goes to the next guy he kills that person then he goes to the next guy there's really not a lot of stuff going on in outside of that and as in contrast to the first half which is almost to, to detriment in my opinion too much plot going on mm-hmm. um i don't know and maybe that's a segue into the technical aspects but if you had anything else you wanted to cover on it well, I think that's I think that's tough too, because you know I I feel like there's enough plot to keep it going, uh, because a movie like this you just spent an hour, arguably an hour plus. I can't remember exactly when it happens. I think it's about an hour in, um, just setting up, 
your you know your relationship with these two characters. So you know you set you spent an hour setting up these these dominoes, and eventually you got to knock them down. Yeah. Um, which is you know not to go off on a tangent, but like one of the reasons why I know a lot of people didn't like Inception because they thought Inception was really talky or something, or for various other reasons. Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about Inception was that they spend the first half of that movie pretty clearly explaining to you as as uh, um, as uh, uh, um, detailedly as they can detailedly. That's not a word. Um, in it, as it, much as, detail, it, yeah. In as much detail as they can, how the device works and how the sleep world and all that kind of stuff works. Yep, setting so up the they, rules for the, uh, the universe. Yeah, setting up the worlds, setting up the rules of the world and everything. So when they go and they do all that stuff, they just they just go. And they don't have to stop and be like, what's happening? Well, well now we're in the second level of sleep and if you know that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, and I, I have a certain amount of uh, appreciation for that. And I think that's kind of what they're doing here. And but they also do drop in enough plot to keep it kind of uh, spiraling instead of just a straight shot down, you know? Yeah. Um, like, could you have done this movie? I mean, I'm sure they would uh, would have done this movie. Uh, without the twist of the father stealing the money or, you know, the girl not being dead and all that. Kind of, I think you very easily could do the same movie probably in a much shorter time if you cut that stuff out and it just is Denzel Washington gets revenge for this girl's death. Yes. Um. So, yeah, I, you know, plot-wise in the second half, I, I see what you're saying, but I don't really... Th- I think it's... They give you enough to keep it moving. Um. And, uh, you know, it, it, I think it ends up taking it into a place where most of these movies tend not to go. I mean, like in, in, you know, not that they keep using Taken as an example, but in Taken, you always know the girl's alive and you always know he's going to get her back. And that's pretty much the whole story. There's not like, (laughs) there's not really a lot of, uh, other stuff going on in there. Well, Um, I, I feel that Taken, Taken is, Taken is almost more of a martial arts movie to me. Like yeah. the 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 scenes that he has isn't just him torturing people. It's him sort of in hand to hand combat or like an action chase sequence. Oh yeah, or something. yeah. It's definitely tor- Taken is definitely much more of a uh, of a spectacle movie than this is. And I think the weird thing about this movie, if if I uh, you know to call out one kind of weird thing, and maybe this maybe this is sort of dancing around the tonal issues you're talking about, but it is a movie made by Tony Scott who has done. Big budget action movies. He did Top Gun. He did, uh, uh, I think he did Days of Thunder. But he's he's a, he's a well known action director. Uh, Denzel Washington, who up to this point hasn't really done action movies. He's been more of an actor's actor. I think Training Day was the was the most actiony movie he had done up to this point. Uh, unless you count all the stunts he did in uh, Heart. What the hell's the name of that movie? Heart to Heart. Heart Condition. Le- Heart Condition. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, ghost stunts. Yes, ghost um, stunts. Dakota Fanning, who is, you know, not a super known quantity, but she's not an action movie character. Um, and it's a revenge story, so it seems like it could could slash should be a much glossier affair. Um, but it's not. It's very dirty. It's very... Uh, uh, the the tone is fairly serious. It's um, It's very much... Uh, post City of God style filmmaking. Um, I'd call it melodramatic, it is, actually. Yeah, I, 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 I would say it's melodramatic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, 
I, I think there's a space for I definitely think there's a space for that stuff, especially in in, in stories like I mean, like I I can't I can't not love Christopher Walken talking about artists, and you can be an artist in anything. And Creasy Creasy's art is death, and he's about to paint his masterpiece. Come on, that's a great fucking line. <laughs> it, it is a great line. It's actually the opening. I've already recorded the clips, and that'll be the opening to the podcast. Oh, but excellent. The, I mean, the problem with my thing about walking in this uh, every scene he's in, he's sucking on his fingers, and it disgusts. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I I I chalk that up to if you look at his role on the paper, he's like low grade Colonel Troutman from Rambo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's not really a lot for him to do other than to be the guy who's like, Creasy is going to fucking kill everybody. I worked with him. He's a badass. He's the guy who talks him up. He's the guy that talks about everything that Rambo did. Yeah. To, to other to people show. who can't see Rambo at that time. Right. He's, he's got to explain what it is. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a pretty thankless role, you know, so I, I don't I don't. Uh, I don't uh, begrudge him doing whatever he can to make it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Benicio del Toro effect, you know? Sometimes yeah. you just got to put a weird accent on and make your words unintelligible. Yeah, I just, um, I don't mind walking in this, actually. I, I think that the, I think stylistically, it gives me a little bit, the movie gives me a little bit of a headache. I think I think it's dated, like you were saying, oh, yeah. like this is a yeah. very dated early 2000s type of thing with a lot, like I'd hate to be, I'd hate to have been an editor in that era. It's like so oh, yeah, many cuts, yeah. everything is so cutting. And Tony Scott, I would assume, did music videos. Uh, I think he did. Yes. Let me see. I know he did. I know he definitely did commercials, but I can't remember if he did music videos. He did commercials, directing style. I will. I'll look up as we go through this. I would. I would assume he did. Well, yes, he did do music videos for yeah, Kenny Loggins. So they. Oh boy. <laughs> he did Danger well, Zone. Well, he probably he probably did the Danger Zone video. <laughs> he <yeah>. did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So there's that, but. I think yeah, I the, think I think he and Ridley Scott might be a little bit too old for the move for the music video era. Sure, sure. Yeah, um, he did a couple of George Michael videos. Was the other oh, he things. did. Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. He probably did like Freedom or you know the ones that look like Tony Scott movies. He did one more try and Father Figure. No, oh, I was wrong. Um, so anyway, one of those guys had to do Freedom. It must have been like David Fincher or Michael Bay or something did did Freedom because that's like a. That's like right in the pocket of those move those that their style of music video. But yeah. anyway, that's it's an important discussion. important growing era. Uh, I think that the, the style of the movie kind of gives me a little bit of a headache. Um, yeah. I don't really like that sort of pacing. It, the only time that the cutting makes sense to me are in scenes where Creasy is sort of either being overly paranoid or realizing that the kidnapping is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it reflects his his sort of scattered state of mind at that point, mm-hmm. where he's trying to notice a whole bunch of stuff at once. But they they do a lot of it just in like they have like an establishing shot, and then they'll just do a million cuts until they zoom in on him. And yeah, yeah. It, it just feels unnecessary. It doesn't feel like this is really adding anything to me. Yeah, I I um you know I was I I was watching for it this time, and I I noticed they do dial it back. Like once they it's pretty heavy once it starts. But once uh, they get into the stuff with Creasy and, and, and Peta, they really do dial it back for a while. And then once she gets kidnapped, they, you know, turn it to turn it up to 11. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't I would not uh, begrudge anybody for not enjoying the way that this movie is shot. Like I, it's it's I remember really liking it when I f- saw it the first time just because it was so different and it was treating the visual storytelling in a in a 
in a way that I hadn't really seen before. Like this is uh, right around the time where I, I had just seen uh, the Limey, which I really loved. Yeah, which has not is not like this, but is really being liberal in the way that it it presents time and story and all that kind of stuff. And I thought it was you know a really interesting way of doing that stuff. Um, subsequently, after this movie, he made a movie called Domino, which is garbage. Um, which is this style, like even more so. And I was really excited to see it because I wanted to see where he would take this. And he just, it just got really gross and and even worse than this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as the chop, the choppiness and the color, it's a really ugly movie. Um, but you know, I give him, I give him credit for trying it out. I think maybe... I don't know. Do you think that this style had an effect on other people coming after it? Because I feel like while it feels dated, it also feels like something other people ended up doing after him. Yeah, I'd, I'd feel I think Soderbergh kind of did something like it in um, uh, Traffic. Is that Soderbergh? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. T- traffic feels like a more restrained version of what they're doing here. And I don't traffic? know which one came... I think traffic might be before this, actually. It, it, I think traffic might be 2000. So maybe, maybe that's not it. But I, I think that that era... Yeah, it is 2000. Yeah. 2000, yeah. So I think that that... I think it's just of the era. I don't know who was the first person to do that kind of style. Mm. Um, but I I feel like it's impacted storytelling, at least going forward. I think people... They realized they got to the tipping point and they pulled it back a little bit. Being yes. like, we don't, we yeah. don't need to do this quite as much as we were doing it. Um, yeah. And that's the thing. You know, I actually, the movie I was thinking of as I was watching this uh, the other day was um, Pain and Gain. I don't know if you've seen that, the Michael Bay movie. No. Which feels, it has that same kind of jacked up uh, color palette. I guess Michael Bay post around this time in general started doing this kind of stuff too. And I mean, maybe that's, maybe they're feeding off each other. I don't know. Um, Like Bad Boys 2 has this same sort of like color palette to it. I think this is right around the time where uh, digital color grading became a really popular thing yeah, to start I, using. I, I was just about to say it probably has to do with the, the shift to digital color. Yeah, and you know, so it's it's really interesting um, how a lot of times when these technical advancements come through, people use them in very extreme ways before they really figure out the the more nuanced ways to use them. Yeah, like after. Jurassic Park came out and CGI became the norm more or less a couple of years after that. They kind of eased their way into it, but eventually like this is 2006 is right in the pocket of oversaturation of, you know, questionable CGI. Uh there's so much of it that they can't handle it so it all ends up looking bad. Um which they've since really dialed back and and uh they probably use still use more CGI now than they ever had, but a lot of it is is stuff that you're not actually noticing. Uh, on top of the big, like fully computer created creatures and stuff. Um, and even uh, there's a movie from I think I want to say like 1962 ish somewhere in there called uh, Point Blank, which is another favorite of mine that has a, the same kind of playing with time and playing with point of view kind of thing as uh, the Limey and, and this. It's a Lee Marvin movie made by John Borman. And uh, there's, it's hyper color. Um, there's scenes where, there's this one scene where uh, uh, 
Lee Marvin goes into the bathroom and like he just goes nuts and starts smashing stuff, and then all of these like colored liquids start swirling around in the bathtub. Yeah, going down the drain and stuff. And on the and on the commentary, John Borman's like, "Yeah, this was my first color movie, so I was just seeing what it would look like." <laughs> uh, and you know, it's it's it, it's it makes sense that when you have these advancements, your your artists and your creators are gonna go, "Well, let's see how far we can push this before we, uh, um, before we figure, you know, so let's see where the boundaries are." Yeah. Uh, so we know what parameters we're working with. Like David Bowie always talks about uh, when they first got synthesizers. Um, that were made specifically for to emulate real noises, but all those noises sounded like shit. Yeah. So they just started like, like threw the manuals out and just started like plugging things in, seeing which how many weird sounds they could get. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just. Well, yeah, I was just gonna say it's just natural that when you get a new tool, you're gonna you know you're gonna push it and see what you can do with it. Yeah. I mean, Eddie Van Halen was like, "I'm really good at the guitar, but the synthesizer is, is yeah. in the future." <laughs> Forget about the guitar. I need um, something I'm not as good at that can really rein me in. <laughs> um, I think that my my problem with the the first half of it is that it is a. I think the dialogue in this movie is very bad. Um, that's that's fair. I yeah. I th- and I think that the first half of the movie is too obvious. I I was thinking that if you cut out all the dialogue, I think that the visual storytelling of this movie works really well. You can easily yeah. track what's happening, but every time they have a nice scene that is Creasy looking at something or whatever, some other character will come in and he'll have this very generic action hero response to their question. And mm-hmm. I don't like that. Like that's the maybe that's maybe that's the tonal inconsistency I see is that I kind of see it as a superhero movie, but it doesn't yeah. really embrace the superhero. Here's a cheesy like or, or here's a gimmicky line that I'm going to say at this point. Um, or an action hero type thing, maybe not a comic book, but like an action movie. Right. And I think maybe I would have liked that a little bit more. If it had gone in either direction, I think I would have found it more satisfying. Yeah, I, you know, if there's a disconnect, I think it's probably between the the script and the approach to the script. Um, because if you just, if you take the script by itself, I think the intent is probably a, a much more generic action movie. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the lines he says are, are kind of, you know, like you said, are kind of, uh, actiony. What are you going to really do, Creasy? I'm going to kill them all. Everyone who had anything to do. It's like, that's a very like Schwarzenegger, Stallone type well, line. Well, you know, okay. So we, while yes, I do think that line is actually motivated because yeah. the one thing about Creasy is he is a very honest person. Like every, every, you know, at the, the beginning when you're first meeting him, you know, people are telling him not to talk about his drinking and he, like he, anybody asks him a question, he tells him the truth. And so when you get to that point, when she's, when whoever says is, what are you going to do? He's not going to dance around it. He's just going to be like, I'm going to kill everyone. I'm going to find everyone who was involved. And I'm going to kill him. Yep. And I, so I think that line in particular is fairly character motivated. Um, but I see what you're saying. Like those kind of, kind of, uh, lines are. In, in another movie would feel very uh, hokey and, you know, uh, Schwarzenegger, as, as, as I think you said. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the treatment of the script visually that doesn't super connect. Because like I was saying, I, I don't think that this is played visually um, or acted in a way where they're really uh, – Creasy's happy about what he's doing or like that they're um, – really uh reveling in 
so much of the violence, but I think the script is probably written with the intention that it would be that kind of movie. So I, th- I can definitely see that there is a disconnect there um, yeah. on, on a, on a, on a, you know, base level. Yeah. I, the, the opening stuff too, like I, I, re- I refer to it as melodrama and mm-hmm. I think, I, I don't think melodrama in and of itself is like a bad word to use, but I, th- I think that this is unintentionally melodramatic, which is the worst kind of melodrama. <laughs> um, you know, just any scene with Mark Anthony is yeah. not good. Um, I think that the, <laughs> I think that his wife is is his wife Rachel Ticotin? Is that who that actress his name? I'm no, just, it's uh, Rada Mitchell. Rada Mitchell. Okay, she's the first one. I, I just think that they're, and you know, it ties the melodrama ties into the you were you were uh, sort of saying that the second half the the scene where the father admits that he was in on it and stuff. To me, that feels like it was inserted into the script because they got to that point and they're like, you know, this guy's just walking around killing people. Like we need to mm-hmm. add some kind of twist here to make this. Oh, it's l- very possible. It is very possible that that was a later addition. Yeah. Yeah. I, it just, it, it felt undeserved and just there to sort of slightly stir the pot a little bit. And I don't know. Do you get anything? I, the Rotten Tomatoes takeaway from this is like, despite the uh, Christian imagery it doesn't, this movie doesn't really have a lot to offer or something like that. And I found the religious stuff to be either, either I don't know enough about it. I I didn't find it to really add anything. And I I don't know if Creasy is supposed to be Jesus Christ or something who's dying for Yeah, I don't know about that. (laughs) Like, I I don't know if is, but he dies for the good of the world, basically at the end after sort of cleansing sin from the planet. Um, and I, I, the Christian stuff just felt tacked on. I don't really know a whole lot about it, but it just when he's laying in the pool is sort of like the crucifix position, um, man on fire, you know, that's a religious mm-hmm. imagery and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So it's just, it, it, it felt tacked on without being really exploratory of that. And I, I think that's just kind of a script strangeness. Yeah. And I also, I just chalked that up to where it takes place, not to generalize, oh, sure. but I'm, but I'm sure that there probably was some, talk about like well you know there's lots of christian imagery in in mexico and you know that 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 like shrine that mark anthony has in his house is pretty intense yes Um, (laughs) right next to his virtual golf simulator yeah (laughs) but yeah you know like i i i don't find it super i i didn't find it overpowering um i didn't find it weird that she gives him that you know she goes to a catholic school uh Book takes place in Italy. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, um, and Tony Scott didn't want to do it in Italy because he's like, there hasn't been a kidnapping in Italy in like thirty-five years. Yeah, well, but it, that's a, it's a strange mirroring, right? Like it happens yeah. in Rome where there's a lot of kidnappings. They move to Mexico where there's now a lot of kidnappings, and it's still religious, like in Italy. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's just, you know, yeah. I, I I'm sure I I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if if that stuff was intentional. I mean, you know, like you said, he is. He is uh, uh, he's a, a, re- a repentant man who has been spared by God, basically, because he tries to kill himself and the bullet doesn't go off. Yeah. Um, and he's uh, turning his life around and then he ends up sacrificing himself to uh, to save somebody else. So, yeah, I mean, the 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 image, the religious imagery is not surprising. Yeah. Um, I don't I, I don't know if I find if I found his like specifically for him the like uh christ figure stuff really that overpowering um 
I don't find it overpowering at all. Yeah, yeah, usually they do that stuff, and it's like you just can't unsee it. Uh, like when, like he in stands Man of in Steel, light. Yeah, 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 like in Man of Steel when he floats out of the 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 spaceship in a cross form before he flies down to Earth. It's like, yes. all right, yeah, we get it. Also, Batman um, versus Superman when he's saving people and sort of flying in the backlit by the sun and coming down to save people. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I just I, I felt that that stuff fit with the the location of the story and everything and kind of the, the idea of his, what his character's arc was and that kind of stuff. It didn't really bother me as a, um, kind of a side note, but it, it, and this is not a fair criticism movie. This is just me in my personal life. I had this, the, uh, the waking up podcast had a guest on who's an expert in kidnapping, uh, recently. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about, um, the different areas, how different areas kidnap people differently. And mm-hmm. Latin America is basically, uh, I, I think he would disagree with this. He would say that this movie is a gross exaggeration. He, his thing was just the South American kidnappings are like, a, it's basically a business. Like, yeah. it's very professional and very uh, clean just to get the money from people. Right, right. Um, which is not a criticism of the movie. I just thought it was interesting. Having listened to like a real th- a real take on what kidnapping is like and then seeing the movie. Well, you know, it's interesting. I would like to see, I would love to have seen this movie done by Michael Mann. Uh because his take on the the his take on the subject matter that he covers is usually very very intensely researched um like there's if you listen to the the commentary for the Miami Vice movie he goes into like detail about white supremacist groups and all this kind of other stuff that stuff that's in the movie for like 30 seconds but he's like you could tell that he's He's looked into all this stuff to make sure that it is is as accurate as possible. Yeah. Um, he easily but, falls down the Wikipedia rabbit hole when oh, he's yes, making a movie. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, you're still making a movie. You're still making a fictional drama. So you got to jack the 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 uh, details up. Um, I think I think a realistic portrayal of the business-like nature of kidnapping in Latin America is probably a different movie. <laughs> Yeah, much I, more traffic-like. Much more. Yeah, I don't think it would be a bad movie. It would probably be pretty interesting, but I just probably wouldn't be this one. Yep. No. No, I agree. It doesn't. It doesn't suit the uh, the material here, <laughs> as far as as what it would go. So, I did want to talk about um, because this is real ripe and real rotten, and we focus on an actor or a director. Um, you had said that the movie was cast well. I think that Denzel Washington is irrelevant to this movie. You could. I think you could insert a lot of people into this role and it mm-hmm. would come out exactly the same. I was thinking Jason Statham would be like a, I could have seen that him in this role and it would have been exactly the same. Yeah. But uh, see, I don't, I don't want to see an action hero in this role though. You mm-hmm. know, like I think, I think, uh, um, Denzel is so good at being charming and relatable that putting him in a room with Dakota Fanning is just going to make everybody's hearts melt, no no matter what they're saying to each other. They could just be, like, talking about, uh, you know, Holocaust deniers, and you'd be like, oh, my God, this is so charming. But is is Denzel Washington not an action star at this point in his career? I don't think so. So no. be- before this, he's got Training Day, John Q, Antoine Fisher, which is not Out of Time, Man on Fire, Manchurian Candidate, Inside Man, Deja Vu, American Gangster, Taking a Pelham, Book of Eli. That- I, so I, I yeah, the, I think it's in the in the the body of when he became an action hero. But I mean, this is pretty towards the beginning. Okay, all right. Uh, I I didn't really think of him like that until after this movie. 
But that being said, like, he still brings a certain style of acting to those roles that is different than what Jason Statham would do. Like, I, I don't know if Jason Statham's relationship with the girl would be as interesting as it is, as the one that uh, she has with Denzel. No, and also, they only really have the one scene, I would argue. Like, they only have the scene where she's doing her homework and asks what a concubine is. Um, mm-hmm. That's their strongest scene with each other, I think. And and you're right that Denzel there brings a warmth that Jason Statham don't, don't, wouldn't, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, go ahead. And I also think casting somebody like that in the role does predispose you to thinking, uh, it, it predispose you to reveling in the violence, and you know? Um, like, there's a reason that, uh, well, I mean, he did become a action hero after this, but, like, there's a reason that Charles Bronson works so well in, uh, Death Wish is because his character is a very nothing man, and Charles Bronson, though he is, you know, he's been in a lot of action-y movies, he's just kind of like, it looks like a dude, whereas Mm -hmm. Jason Statham is like Jason Statham, you know, he's just an action hero. Would Liam Neeson have worked in this role? Um, I don't see why not. You know, I I think I think the Taken thing is the same thing. I think his action career works because he's not traditionally an action actor. Yeah, I, I think he would bring the same kind of warmth to the bonding with Peta scenes yeah. that mm-hmm. you would need and obviously it's the same in taken where his daughter is taken so there's that kind of relationship there. yeah like imagine imagine if taken had jason statham in it like who, that would have been worse no, yeah yeah then. nobody would have given a shit about that movie <laughs> it probably wouldn't even have gone to theaters no no probably not yeah i mean it's dependent on but i i think it could have i'm just now i'm just interested in who would like tom cruise i think would have been a disaster in this that that's not the right thing for him yeah who yeah, else is doing he, action? He, he movies? doesn't. He doesn't have the warmth. No, he, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, the human soul. He would have explained you, the concubine so, as a spirit that Lord Zenu would have taken up into space with something. Yeah, not to not to go off topic completely, but did you see that interview with him that had been going around recently, where people are saying that he's never actually watched a movie because somebody asked him like what his favorite movie he's seen recently was, and he's like, "Well, the thing about movies is, you know." I, I just like love them. Yeah. yeah, and they kept asking. He's like, okay, but if you had to pick one that you've seen recently, like literally any movie, which one would you pick? And he's like, oh, but, you know, the the art of movies, it just takes you away. And so people are like, I don't think he's ever actually watched a movie before. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that the, I, I, I tweeted the that first response, um, and maybe it's a weakness, because when you read it, it does come across like he's never seen a movie before. Then I started thinking about it, and... I think that answer is a perfect Tom Cruise answer to a question. Yeah. Oh, it is. 100%. Yeah. And after that, after that initial wave of stuff, people who actually knew Tom Cruise started tweeting about the, the, him being, I don't, and who knows if this is PR control, but they, people who seemed to know him or at least had uh, interacted with him claim, were just saying that he's a huge movie buff and they just saw the answer as a political answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's totally reasonable. I mean, come on. The guy, <laughs> the, there's... Of course he's seen movies. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's just, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a jokey thing to say because his, his answer was so robotic and political. But I mean, come on. The, yeah. Obviously the guy watches movies. Yeah, I, I'd be more annoyed at like if I'm doing an interview with Tom Cruise and that's the answer he gives me. As, a, yeah. as an interviewer, I'd be like, can you give me a goddamn movie that you enjoy watching? Like, can you just tell me one movie you've enjoyed recently in the past 10 yeah, years? Yeah, yeah. Um, is there any other older action star that I can't think of at this point that was in the early 90s? Um, uh, that was, 
Oh, you mean like early 90s, like the Schwarzenegger and Stallone Oh, no, I'm era? sorry, early 2000. Oh, early 2000, 2000, honestly? The reason that Jason Statham is an action hero is because he was like the only one for like 10 years. Yeah. Before The, before the Rock really got his uh, foothold in movies, it was basically just Jason Statham. Yeah. Like Stallone wasn't, I mean, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and Van Damme were getting old. I mean, Bruce Willis too. I mean, Bruce Willis was still making movies, but uh, they were getting older and, you know, had a lot of bad movies behind them. So they weren't getting the box office draw anymore. Yeah. Um, you had Vin Diesel, I guess. Yeah, I've got I've pulled up a list of early action stars, early two thousand action stars. Just like we don't need to go in depth. Just say yes or no uh, to be cast as Creasy in this, as yep. I say them. Okay, Christian Bale. Yes. Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Samuel L. Jackson. Hmm. I'm gonna say soft yes. That would be interesting. Brad Pitt. Uh, I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'd say no there. Hugh Jackman. Yeah, no, he'd be too young at this point. I guess, well, I mean, that's if if you're going by age, I think he needs, Creasy needs to be a little bit older. Uh, Jackman could probably do it. I'm going to say no on him. I'd say no on him. I'll give you two more. George Clooney. No. And then the last one, Daniel Craig. Uh, maybe. Probably, I'm gonna say maybe. Lean towards no. Yeah, the only one I would I would disagree about uh, Robert Downey Jr. I think I don't think Junior Robert. That's Downey true. Jr. Would yeah, be right. I, I was just thinking like uh, he would be really good relating to the girl. I mean, I, I bet their yes. scenes would be great, but I don't know if I if he'd be totally believable in the second half. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Denzel does work in both halves there. Yeah, which is kind of a unique skill. Um. Interesting. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? We've been going for an hour. No, not really. I mean, the one thing that did stand out, it was just, you know, a stupid thing, is because uh, my girlfriend and I both did it at the same time, was when they started talking about the, the group of bad guys, La Hermana Dad. Yeah. We both turned to each other and went, Hermano. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's used the same way they use it in Arrested Development, where they're just saying the word. It's like, <laughs> then they say it's it's the brotherhood called La, La Hermana Dad. Uh, yes, Hermano. <laughs> I, my favorite is, um, hello, mon frere. That means brother in French. It's funny I know that. I took four years of Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Check out yeah. Arrested Development. Yeah, you know, ov- overall, I think, I, you know, I really like this movie. Um, I totally get everything you're saying about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, as far as, I think especially, you know, Maybe uh, it stood out a little bit more at the time because it was a lesser, it was a it was an action movie with a different take and a different uh, uh, style to it that wasn't yeah. just a glossy um, Jason Statham vehicle or you know trying to recapture a Schwarzenegger or Stallone type movie, and um, I think <clears throat> those movies are are a lot more successful now. Uh, than they were then. I don't know if this movie was particularly successful. Um, Do I have a budget? It uh, it cost seventy million to make. It made one hundred thirty million. Okay, so it made mild money. mildly successful. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I I, I think uh, you know I don't think you get your taken in those type of uh, older guy action hero movies unless Man on Fire exists. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I I, I enjoy it. I think it's uh. It's a very satisfying revenge movie, and uh, 
they do a they do a good job of of really uh man the th- they w- when they got that one shot of Dakota Fanning like crying not knowing what to do yeah they were like make sure you save that footage we're gonna use that like eight times <laughs> <laughs> even even ghost. our friend even our friend Pat I was talking to him about this last night he also loves this movie yep. he was like yeah my mother my mother was so my mother started crying when it when they said that Dakota Fanning was dead. So when Denzel started killing people, she was all in. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think we're just descending into uh, immoral muck around here watching this movie. No, I think that it's um, I think that the, I think the movie is slightly off in a whole lot of ways that to me adds up to something that I feel is more off than maybe the whole is. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that the, you know, the best part of the movie to me is the ending. Um, yeah, I really like the ending. It's the only part of the movie I really remembered from watching it when it came out. Um, that's very effective. It's just a, yeah, I just, I, I find it, I needed a little bit more of a, uh, director with a personality, maybe like a, a director who inserts personality into their movies, I think would have made this a little bit more, um, enjoyable for me. That's fair. I mean, I, I would say that if I, if I could if i if i were to make a big critique on it i would say that yeah a, a director who was less a style guy and more of like a character guy probably yes. would be able to really ra- ratchet this movie up even more yeah um cuz cuz yeah i mean it, w- the the actors i mean denzel's doing all the heavy lifting in this movie uh and uh, if you don't buy him and you don't buy the girl, then the movie doesn't work at all, you know? Right, yeah. Um, and I, I do buy them. It's just a, they're they're stuck in the middle of a Tony Scott production. Um, right, right. You and, know, it'd be interesting, uh, you know, because I don't really have any particular attachment to the story. It's a pretty standard story. But uh, uh, they made this movie once before in 1987, which I haven't seen yet. I actually would like to, to see that eventually, uh, with Scott Glenn playing Creasy. Yeah. Um, People know Scott interested. Glenn as uh, the Daredevil stick guy, right? Yep, yep. He's yeah. also uh, he's also a main character on Castle Rock now on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, good actor, uh, been around for a long time. But um, Joe Pesci was also in the. He was the. He was he played the walk and roll. Joe Pesci. Oh, did he really? Yeah, oh. uh, yeah. I gotta see that. I'm going to find that somewhere. Uh, but I'd be interested to see somebody else remake this movie. Um, I feel like you could do it. Again, I think most of the, I mean, kidnapping is always going to be a viable topic. Um, And it would be interesting to see somebody else uh, tackle the story and see how they handle it. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. Um, I will, another thing, sorry, not not to jump back in when we're trying to end here. Uh, Not a great movie for women. And I mean that like as far as female characters go. No. Uh, I was, like that stuff you know, I noticed that stuff, but this movie particularly really stood out to how empty the female characters were and kind of like actively shit on. Yep. <laughs> like the wife doesn't really do anything. She just kind of hangs around in like lingerie. And yeah. even even the husband at one point is like, you know, you know, you gotta, you know how hard it is to keep this, a woman like this satisfied. Mickey Rourke <laughs> has a line about like, you gotta keep an ass <laughs> like that in your house or something. <laughs> yeah. And um, the the female reporter is constantly getting her ass pinched by the the cop and stuff. Yep. It's not it's not a great movie for female characters. Who um, out of nowhere says we should just fuck again at some point, and then he just walks off on his 
on his way and it's like is that supposed to be a, an underlying theme that i'm thinking about here it's, it's very odd it is it is in line for the characters that that guy plays though because that guy is a uh, an italian actor he was in a lot of uh, italian like giallo movies and stuff and if you yeah. go back and you watch any of those like giallo movies from the 70s or uh, 60s and 70s it is basically softcore porn where women specifically are murdered yeah, and it's yeah. it, they're they're weird to watch now, and it's lots of like ass pinching and like boobs out, and then women getting stabbed. It's very it's not they don't hold up in that way. <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting in the uh, you know how Scarlett Johansson got uh, taken off of a movie for she was going to play a gay or a transgendered character. Yep. I think mm-hmm. it's it's funny that like the races that are. Like you, you can't play an Italian can't play a Mexican, and it's yeah. like that's pretty much okay. I actually didn't even realize that guy was Italian. It's obvious now that I'm looking at it, but like, I was like, "There's a Mexican actor." When I was just uh, when I was watching the movie, it's like that's mm-hmm. it's, it's funny. Well, I, I think in that in, in this situation, I don't think the 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 race of the of the the character is is a hard and fast rule. I mean, he no, can just no. be Italian living in in Mexico City. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There may be Italian cops on the Mexico City police force. I don't know. Yeah. Chrissy. She calls the bear. Chrissy bear. Remember, I will leave you her life for your life and the life of my brother. Okay. Okay. I give you your brother, you give me the girl. All right. Let's see. Do I have anything? No, I think that's pretty much it. The movie's at 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. Man, based on that's crazy reviews. to me. I mean, I... I don't know. I guess I guess part of me understands that, but I just... I, I've always thought this was a really great, uh, like, B-level, B-movie. Uh, yeah. it was a, it's a great B movie in Denzel Washington's career. It's not his best movie. It's not his worst movie. But if there's one that someone's going to say, look it for a Denzel movie that's off the beaten path, what would you suggest? I'm going to say Man on Fire every time. Interesting. I will also say Deja Vu. Also, that would have been another one that I would have chosen. Also, oh, sure. Scott. Yeah, yeah, I already said I would have chose Virtuosity, but that's uh, that's another thing. But yeah, this is a... Um, I don't know. I, th- I think that's pretty much it. We've covered pretty much everything. Um, Man on Fire. I guess we. this is our strongest disagreement yet, I think, about it, any of the movies yeah. that have come out. Oh, um, the one thing we didn't talk about, we did touch on it on Twitter, though. Is this the beginning? Uh, out of Time was before this, I think. Uh, I can check on that, but what, what's your point as I is look this, this up? Is this the beginning of the um, Denzel costume, which is just an oversized shirt and like a white T-shirt underneath? Out of Time he, came right before this, yeah. Yeah, so like that was that the like I feel like it's the same thing he wears in every one of these movies. It's like uh, big big button down t shirt with a white shirt underneath <laughs> that are it's either buttoned or it's open. And yeah. he wears it in Out of Time. He wears it in this. I'm pretty sure he wears it in Deja Vu. Uh, the, I think the, he wears it in the Equalizer. <laughs> the the clothes are extremely large in this movie. Yes, they it's, are. it's a it's a product of the time. His um. You know, I, I believe that if he was wearing a bit more form-fitting clothing, he wouldn't have gotten a shot in the first place. He probably trips over <laughs> his pants or something, but um, he it is his, he just has the, yeah, it's as you say, he has a white t-shirt with a, like, a sort of flowery button-down short sleeve on top of it. Yep. Um, and um, uh, before that, it would have been Bone Collector, Hurricane, Remember the Titans, Training Day, John Q, Antoine Fisher, Out of Time, Man on Fire. 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he maybe he, that's just what he always wears in a in a non period piece. Do you, I I would I would ass, yeah I would assume that Denzel is choosing his wardrobe uh, in these movies if they're they're so similar. You know. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, just a different well, time. It's like in. Michael uh, Michael Jordan. You know, great at basketball, but if you look at some of the outfits he's worn through the years at like <laughs> events, that you'd be like Michael Jordan. Someone needs to tell you. I that you're, you're I wrong. give the man credit for single handedly trying to bring back the Hitler mustache. <laughs> I don't know if it was the best <laughs> choice. But uh, interesting to, you know, you know how I was saying when you have these these toys, you have to push the boundaries. You know, why not push the boundaries of your late career uh, fame and see if you can get away with a Hitler mustache? Why not? Yes, absolutely. Well, guys, thank you very much for listening. This is real right. He had that in a Hanes commercial. He did a commercial for Hanes with a Hitler mustache (laughs) and nobody told him to shave it. After you win six NBA titles, you can do whatever it is that you want to do. Real Ripe and Real Rotten, that's the name of the show. I am Wes, this uh, is Clay on the other side. And we've talked about Man on Fire. Our next category is going to be Edgar Wright. So we're doing Scott Pilgrim versus the World and Baby Driver. And then we'll I'm pick not, a B-roll. I'm not excited about this. Yeah, it's a, that's, it's that's, an, that's unfair. I shouldn't say that. I am excited because I, I've only seen Scott Pilgrim once and I did not like it. Uh, Baby Driver, I've only seen once, and I thought it was fine. So going back and actually watching these a little bit more analytically, uh, it'll be interesting to see if my my mind changes. Yeah, the patients wanted him, so it's obviously demand for Edgar Wright's stuff. So we'll see how we feel about it. But we're done with Denzel. We covered Fences and Heart Condition, and then we did Man on Fire as the B-roll. So... That's about it. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month, you get extra content. You can check out the Star Trek show. You can check out the upcoming Batass podcast, which is uh, Clay and Sean Murphy's Batman the Animated Series podcast. Mm-hmm. And as always, thank you to the Captain Tier patrons. It thanks goes out to Stephen Cobb, Matt Flores, Samuel Custer, Santos Gonzalez, Robert Cummins, Andrew Carolog, Matthew Cutler, Spinobi. Russ Graham, Eric Johnson, Nathan Elliott, Dexter Sebastiani, Neil Brennan, Kerry Mobility, Michael Pond, Bradley Collins, Rune Venler, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Tark Latif. Guys, thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And uh, that's it. Clay, do you have anything else you want to say, or are we done? Uh, no, I think we're good. Good. Guys, see you next time with Edgar Wright. And I think, what did we do first? Fences, right? So we're doing, I believe we're doing the bad one first. So that'll be Scott Pilgrim will be the first one. Although I might oh. be wrong about that. You know, I didn't even think about that. So that is his lowest movie, Scott yes. Pilgrim. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. All right. All right. So we'll uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. See ya.